0: we approach this time in humility and with an openness to what you might do and a kind of submission to your spirit. Have your way. So excited about what we see in the book of Acts and the immediacy the intensity of what you were doing. We want we long for that to be true of us here in this place. So meet us we ask in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for that song. So the topic for today is, uh, has this kind of intrinsic gravitational pull uh, because we're going to be talking about healing. And I would venture to guess there's not one person in this room who doesn't have something that they wish could be healed, something physical or maybe spiritual or relational Or any other kind. uh, Something that maybe even for a long period of time, we have been wishing and hoping and praying would be healed in us. And so uh, when we talk about healing, there's kind of an immediate connection. Because it touches every single one of us. And so we're going to jump right in and start to uh, let this passage uh, unfold itself, hopefully, in our hearts and and souls this morning. So would you turn to Acts chapter 9, And we'll be looking in verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. If you need a Bible, we actually have Bibles over here that we'd love to pass out to you. So just raise your hand, and I encourage you not to be shy about that. We uh, pass out a lot of Bibles every Sunday, and so uh, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Uh, In that particular Bible, it's on uh, page 634, or uh, if it's the blue one, it's on uh, 535. And this is a Bible we're encouraging you, if you don't have a Bible at home, to take with you. So uh, this is our gift to you this morning. I'd love for you to have that. And last week we were uh, talking about the conversion of Saul uh, to Paul. At the very end of that, there's a kind of a transitional verse. I'm going to pick up at that transitional verse. in uh, at the, It's verse 31 is where we're going to start. Uh, and then we're going to move into this story about uh, the healing Uh, of these two individuals at the hands of Peter. So, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now that phrase I find interesting, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It seems like those are two sort of opposite things, both connected to God uh, and response to God. If somebody wants to you know, blog about that this week, that would be a wonderful topic to kind of chew on. I don't have time to really grapple with it this morning, but uh, it's interesting. Verse 32, this is where the healings begin. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he seems to be sort of the roaming shepherd, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now, if you're somebody who underlines things in your Bible, one of the best ways to understand what a passage is talking about is to look for the concepts and the words and the ideas that are repeated Over and over again. And you're going to see in this passage the idea of lying down and rising up is going to be repeated. So that is going to be like a clue to you uh, about what this text is really driving at. And so this is the first instance of it. He says, Rise and make your bed. And then immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lida and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And, and I wanted to just point out, um, we're going to find out with this woman, Tabitha, that she was a seamstress and made clothing for those who were in need. So uh, in particular for widows, uh, it's going to point out. And we had a, a passing this February of one of our precious daughters in the Lord, Betty Garrett. Um, Floyd was here in first service and They'd been married 62 years and uh, Betty passed away uh, this February and we had a wonderful memorial service. And at the memorial service, uh, people were bringing out uh, the things that Betty had made. She was a seamstress and she she spent time um, making all kinds of things for people. In fact, uh, even when um, there was somebody who just happened to have a need, a, a cancer patient, could you, Betty, could you make a quilt for so and so, and she would say, "I've already made it," and she would pull it out. So I had to draw the connection to Tabitha here because it's just so it's so obvious. Um, and it was a wonderful celebration of Betty's life, and here's somebody like that all these many many years uh, before. So she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, verse thirty-seven, she became ill and died. And they had washed her, and when they had washed her, they laid her laid her in an upper room. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand. So often in these moments of healing, there's this physical element, which you would imagine doesn't have to be there, but there's something of the love of God in the physical touch, in the mirroring the touch of God, and Peter mirrors that in his touch. He gave her his hand. And raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And as we've seen over and over again, Luke likes to see the next event with a little harbinger in the one that we're reading, and that's what Simon the Tanner is. We're going to find out more about Simon a Tanner next week in the next passage. So what I'd like to do uh, in the time that we have together this morning is I want to say a few things about that first verse, that transitional verse 31, A kind of a brief aside, and then we'll get into this idea of healing, healing in the here and now. And I have got a theological point I'd like to make about healing, And then a practical help I'd like to share with you. And then we're going to finish in time to have the Lord's table together. And uh, Jackie will lead us in a prayer as we approach the response time uh, in communion together. And we'll also have opportunity for you to receive prayer, healing prayer, uh, from our prayer counselors. We'll have them around the room. And so you might even be thinking about that already. Is there some area of your life where you would be blessed to receive prayer as the church is gathered and the Holy Spirit is with us. Uh, Be thinking about that even as we get started um, in this time together. So verse 31 first, here's a little aside. Uh, Verse 31, if you break it down, basically says that the church had peace uh, and was being built up and it multiplied. So if you look on the slide there, you can see the process of the early church. They had peace from all the persecutions, and that enabled them to be built up because they were serving one another and growing, and then they multiplied. And I thought this would be a good moment for us to to just pause briefly and talk a little bit about what it seems the Lord is doing in our church in this coming season. Um, You know, this is a good framework for us to think about what God's going to be doing. Uh, We've had some interesting things happen at the end of uh, the spring. We merged with a wonderful church, our grandmother church. So it was the church that planted the church that planted us. And uh, so we have merged together with that church. And they have a building, had a building in El Cerrito, which we uh, are now figuring out how to use wisely. Uh, And then we were told in the summer that this building was going to be torn down. And they were going to be rebuilding it to make it more earthquake safe. And so we began to think about what all this meant, and uh, we came out with a vision, which I'm sort of now calling the hop, skip, and the jump vision, which is that we would remove from this building into another building in North Berkeley or Albany, because this is kind of where our anchor location is. And then uh, after we did that, we would look at multiplying into the El Cerrito campus, and then we even set sort of a big vision of multiplying again into... South Berkeley, maybe with an evening service uh, any number of years down the road. And so we had this hop, skip, and jump kind of idea. And we presented that to you all. And then the, 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 the deal with the building we were going to move in in North Berkeley fell through. And, uh, and then we were told that this building is going to be available now probably to the spring of 2020 is the latest information. Uh, and so, uh, what that did is created an a, a moment where we could do some healthy introspection. And that's what's been happening, uh, and it's a little bit maybe like what this text says. There's a time of peace, and then there's a time of being built up, and there's a time of multiplying. And so over the this last little while, we've been able to have some conversations. And with respect to the idea of peace, as you know, uh, our associate pastor, Pastor Dante has been battling an illness, and and that's, that's been uh, difficult for us all in terms, especially for him, of course, but uh, in terms of him wanting to do things and, and being in a place where he could do all the things that uh, he has wanted to do. And so, in a sense, we've been waiting for, uh, for God to bring peace and healing in that. And I would say also, in addition, our family, and I'm just going to be honest with, with all of you, uh, about kind of where where we're at. Our family over the last three months or so, have we've been going through also an extremely difficult season. Probably one of the more difficult seasons that we've had uh, as a family uh, together. And so we've been weathering that and we we've been getting lots of support and encouragement even in first service. Uh, Gary uh, spent a long time praying for me and I was just so blessed by that. Um, but I wanted you to know and invite you to be part of that prayer as well. And so it seems, and I know that we're not the only ones struggling in this world. Lots of you are as well, with things probably more challenging than we are. And so it seems like uh, we're leaning into and we're praying that God would bring a kind of a peace for us as a church. The same time, we're talking about what does it mean to be built up. This pause that we seem to be on has given us time to have conversations with the elders and the church council and the staff about what does it really mean to disciple one another? What does it really mean to be in community with one another? What does it really mean to love one another and to grow, to be built up as a church? And I just have to tell you that uh, some of the conversations coming out of that are more exciting to me than ones that I've been having about mission and vision for a long time. Um, God is, emer- is is emerging a deeper vision for what it really means to be the church together out of this pause this time. And it has to do with building us up, I believe. And so then I want to encourage you today to be thinking to keep your antenna up for what is it that God is going to do or is already doing in your life that fits along this thread of peace and being built up and then multiplication. Even today, one of the things that we love about the book of Acts, when we read it, is there's, there's this immediacy to it. It's like God keeps moving, and we read this and we think, gosh, I would love to be part of a church that, where they're experiencing the movement of God like that. Things just keep happening one after the other, and they're just trying to catch up with what God is doing. And I want to remind us that we worship the same God of the God of the book of Acts, right? And so for us to approach this task that we have with a, with a sense of expectation, is appropriate and true to who this God is. And it's appropriate and good for us to keep our antenna up. Not to get settled in the sense that, you know, I've got got these things that are just never going to change, or God's never going to work through me, or never use me, or the community is never going to... God is moving, and, and our antenna needs to be up to perceive where the Spirit is moving, and then to move along with God in this coming season. And so I want to invite us to take that posture. This is sort of the this is the thought that I want to leave us with is to take that posture of expectancy that God is moving and maybe he's even moving in my life. Maybe he's even moving in some ways that I didn't expect and I'm going to I'm going to listen and be quick to respond. This is what the Lord seems to be doing in our community, and we want to kind of get, lean into it. And it, it connects to what this passage is about because this passage is about healing, healing in the here and now. And so let's let's talk about that. I've got two points, as I mentioned, that I want to I want to explore with respect to healing. One's this theological point, and then the other one's a practical help uh, before we actually have time. For some prayer together. So let me dive into my theological point. If you want to say it that way. And I'll I'll, I'll put it like this. Healing in this text is Christ originated. Christ centered. Christ empowered. And Christ advancing. Healing is Christ originated. Christ centered. Christ empowered. And Christ advancing. So look in verse 34 for example. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, this is after the time when Jesus was with the disciples. He has died, he's been raised, and he's ascended into heaven. And yet, Peter would say, even in that moment, that Christ is the one that's doing the healing. Even though he's not physically there in the way that he had been, it's Jesus Christ who's doing the healing. And so, it's Christ-originated, and Christ-centered, and Christ-empowered. But it's also christ Advancing, look with, it, look with me in verse 35. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. In other words, the response to the healing was that people turned to the Lord. It was Christ advancing. And we see that again at the very end in, in verse 42. And it be, when, when, the, when Tabitha was healed, it became known that she was healed throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Christ was advanced. In fact, some of you this morning might be here and you might be questioning the things of God, where you are with faith, where you are with Christianity, where you are with the person of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note that there were people in the New Testament who witnessed or experienced even the healing of God but did not but did not then go the extra step to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is the point we're being told all throughout the book of Acts, that these healings are intricately woven into the proclamation of the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And for the opportunity for us to come to Jesus Christ in faith. The, the Bible teaches that's the appropriate response to God is faith. So the healings are are woven into that opportunity to know God through Jesus Christ. It's relational. They're very relational, ultimately. And that's why it's so sweet when you see the the physical touch of Peter on Tabitha. It's as if God is is pursuing her and, and reaching out. And he's doing the same with us this morning. And so it's really important that when we think about these healings, we make that connection to the, a, a, a possible relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, these healings mirror the healings of Christ. So the one, the healing of Aeneas is, is a mirror of the healing of the paralytic that Jesus performed in Luke chapter five. Um, remember, this, this man was let down through the roof on the bed, and when, when, he, when Jesus heals him, he says, "Take up your bed." It's the similar language here that Peter says to Aeneas. And then the healing of Tabitha is a kind of a mirror of the healing of Jairus' daughter in the Gospels uh, that Jesus performs. Um, He asks the people to leave the room and then he performs the healing. And again, it's a scene very reminiscent of this scene that we're reading about with Tabitha here. So you see how Christ is woven into the healing. And then to push it even a little bit further, the word in both of these is the same word that's used for resurrection. When they rose, when they arise or rose up, it's the same word that's used for resurrection. And interestingly, later on in the book of Acts, Paul will teach in chapter 26, verse 23, that in fact, Christ is the first to rise among many. And so you see that here with Aeneas, who rises, and you see that with Tabitha, who is actually passed, and she rises up. And so Christ is the first to of many to rise. And the result of these healings is that, as we've already said, people turned to the Lord and many believed in the Lord. So all of our prayer for healing is with an awareness that healing is because of Jesus and it's for Jesus, ultimately. And because Jesus loves us, he blesses us with his healing. So there's there's an important theological truth about healing that I think if we're going to lean into healing and and, and see the work of God in healing, we've got to keep this proper framework in mind, that our our prayers for healing would reflect the Christ-centeredness of healing as depicted in the New Testament. And again, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's perfectly appropriate to receive prayer, for healing, but it's also appropriate for all of that process to be what leads us into relationship with God. And, we, and that happens through faith. So that's the theological point that, that healing is Christ centered, Christ originated, Christ empowered, and Christ advancing. And it, it ought to characterize all of our discussion and our hopes and our dreams and our thoughts about about healing. Let me now move to the practical help as we get into the the work of of healing. Today, hopefully, Lord willing, but in the coming season, um, we're going to have a gospel academy on on prayer, a prayer lab coming up in the near future. It was announced this morning, and that's going to be a place where we can dive more deeply into some of these things. Um, But a practical issue, a practical help for us. If you're like me, you read a passage like this, and you, you kind of have, you know, this interesting response. Now, now I'm assuming here that we're in touch with our, our deepest needs. It's that we're being authentic, right? That, that we're trying to really bring to God our hungers and the longings that we have. And if we're in touch with, with those things, and we come to a passage like this, and we say, we kind of say to ourselves, wow, is this for me? Could I be Aeneas? Could I be Tabitha? Could God do a healing work in my life? Physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, mental. Could God do a healing work in my life? And if you're like me, you kind of have this response where there's immediately this sort of hope that yes, when I think about those long-lasting, broken things, I would hope and I'm, I feel hopeful that God could bring a healing to me. But then at the same time, I find welling up in me a kind of a sense of doubt as well. They, they sort of come hand in hand. A hope, and I believe it's possible, but it feels sometimes like it's so Uncommon. I believe it's possible, but it feels like it's so uncommon. And I'm, I'm caught in this tension between the two. I'm caught in the tension of, of being hopeful and doubtful at the same time. Hope and doubt. They're vying for my allegiance inside of me as I think about the possibility of healing in my own life. As I read the story of Peter healing... In the name of Jesus Christ, hope and doubt, hope and doubt. Now throughout the course of history and and even today and in different individuals and different churches, you'll see that this tension is resolved in in a number of ways. And and you could frame it like this. On the one side, you have those who will lean into a, a kind of a triumphalism when it comes to healing. And by that, I mean... They take the position that all things are to be healed now. And that's what God wants. And if it's not happening, then probably it has to do with some deficiency in us, a lack of enough faith or or something or other. And then on the other side, you have that group of people who has begun to lose faith in the possibility of healing. And we would call that sort of defeatism. So on, on the one side, we've got triumphalism, and on the other side, we have defeatism, where you no longer believe in the possibility of healing in your life. You stop seeking or, or, or asking or hoping that God might bring about some transformation for you. And I like to propose, as we think about moving more deeply into the realm of having healing and prayer for healing being a a natural part of our community, I would like to propose that we actually don't resolve that tension, that we choose to live in the tension between the two, that we place ourselves directly in the middle of it. And against the defeatism, we apply an appropriate and biblical sense of hope. And against the triumphalism, we apply an appropriate and a very biblical sense of waiting on God, which is very much a part of the scriptures. And we live in that tension, holding on to both of them. We'll call this the way of faith. To live in the way of faith. Now, the way of faith can be at times uncomfortable for us. Why? It can be painful because... You're not denying the thing that you hope will happen. You're not denying. It's much easier to take a defeatist position and say, well, I didn't really want that anyway. Or that will never happen. And just forget about it. And deny that that's what you would like. And, and, or it's much easier, and you see this in some healing movements, to pretend that healings are happening when they're really not. Okay. And in both of those, we're trying to eradicate the pain of living in hope while we wait. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to live in that place because it makes us vulnerable. Because we're being honest about the longing that we have. The way of faith is characterized by a kind of honesty. Yes, I do long for change. And when people know that you long for change, that makes you feel vulnerable. It's humbling to have that outward. But the way of faith, while it can be uncomfortable at times, is also very beautiful because of that kind of honesty. Deep down, we know there are certain things that we long for that no matter what we try to say, we're going to keep longing for them. Healings of of broken things, things that aren't the way God ever intended them to be. And it's honest, humanly, to acknowledge those longings. God can handle that. He wants us to be be honest about those longings for healing, for transformation. And so there's something beautiful about the honesty of the way of faith. And there's something about the way of faith that draws us into deeper relationship with the Lord. If I take a defeatist position, I say, well, I didn't really want that anyway or that's never going to happen. I don't have to do business with God anymore because I've already taken the issue and sort of stolen, hidden it away. But if I live in this tension of, yes, God can, but maybe he hasn't yet, but I'm hoping he will, what happens is I'm drawn into deeper relationship with the Lord because I'm, I'm in conversation and dialogue with God more regularly, more, more closely, because the things that are closest to my heart are now attached to God. And so there's a developing of relationship. And you, if you read through you know, the saints of the Christian faith, they will say this over and over again. And sometimes they get to the place where they're so thankful for certain sufferings and and lack of healing because it's the thing that draws them most deeply into relationship with God. That's not to say that we shouldn't want healing. I'm not saying that. But it's just to understand the complexity and the beauty of what we're talking about here. There's another beautiful thing that happens as we live in the way of faith in that tension is that um, we're set ablaze with God-glorifying fire of faith really, is what happens. Uh, let me draw your attention to the book of Romans where Paul is talking about Abraham's faith. And look at the, the impact of Abraham's faith. So Abraham says, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So what it's saying there is that his faith was an, was an instrument of the glorification of God. So as he sort of blazed with this faith amidst circumstances that would seem negative, seemed like his hopes were not being realized, as he continued to sort of blaze with this faith, it redounded to the glory of God because he continued to trust God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so there's a beautiful uh, result of our faith and that is, is it brings glory to God. Martin Luther said it like this. Faith honors him who, whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard. Since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. So presumably in the midst of circumstances that might suggest that what it was longed for, or what was hoped for, has not occurred yet. But when we continue to believe and trust God in the midst of those circumstances, then we honor God and, and, and we demonstrate that we believe he's truthful and trustworthy, despite the circumstances. Now, the, the most famous, and I would say, for me, helpful articulation of this is found in the book of Daniel. It's a very powerful event where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown in a fiery furnace because they've refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And the, the consequence is to be burned up in this furnace... And so they're standing there right on the edge of the fires licking out of the furnace. And here's what they say. They say, uh, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. God is able to save us. He will save us, ultimately. If not now, we're not going to stop worshiping him. That's the way of faith. That's living in the tension. Hoping with all your heart and trusting God with all your heart. It's a very vulnerable place to be. But that's where we're to live, in that kind of dependency upon God. I saw a precious video this week of Nabil Qureshi, who came to Christ out of a Muslim background, became a teacher, was getting his PhD, had a young family, Had a very unique perspective. I've quoted him uh, probably a couple of times in sermons in the past. Um, Unique perspective of coming to faith uh, out of his background. Such a powerful voice that seemed like one that was just really having a significant impact for for the time and the season that we're in right now. And it was very beautiful. And then suddenly he got cancer. 34 years old. Stomach cancer. And he's dying. And I hadn't seen this before this week, but there was a, a sweet video of, of him lying in the hospital, very close to death. These are some of his last words. And he whispers them out, and so they're, they're, they're written across the screen. And it's his prayer. It's sort of his prayer in this moment. He's got a young child and, and a wife and this promising career, and God is using him, and, and now here he is on his deathbed. And he says this. He says, Lord, we know you are able. Please heal. Please come through. And I like that phrase because it's almost like a personal phrase that he would normally say about things. And it shows you that his longing for God to heal is sincere and genuine. Please come through, God. He says, but if it shouldn't be your will, your sovereign will, at the end of the day, then I trust you, and I love you anyway. We don't say this so that we might settle. That's precisely not the point. The point is that we'll keep asking. And don't give up. Some people on their deathbed have been healed. In an answer to prayer. And God wants us to live in that tension. To keep expecting healing. Even today. I don't mean that in the global sense. I mean today. To keep on waiting. To keep on hoping. So God would you meet us as a community. As we endeavor to live more fully into relationship with you and with each other and with prayer and with healing and with making known the the name of Jesus Christ as we seek to live more deeply and fully into all of that. Would you meet us in this place today with your healing power? And our declaration to you, God, is that we trust you. We trust you with your timing, we trust you with your ways, we trust you with our lives. We're going to open the communion table and then I'm going to invite uh, Jackie to come and lead us in a prayer before we begin our response time. And so I want to remind us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.